Well, good morning. You guys doing good this morning? Yeah, what a beautiful day, huh? Welcome to those online and even more, even more to those that are right here uh, on Memorial Day weekend. So tomorrow is actually Memorial Day. What are we celebrating? Soldiers who have not come home. People? <laughs> yes, that's true too. Yeah. Soldiers who have not come home. What? So we celebrate them on Memorial Day because... In memory that they died, and, and, and in memory that they died so that we could be free as a country, right? Not underneath, not subject to somebody else. That's tomorrow. Today we get to celebrate someone who died to make us free on the inside and spiritually, right? Yeah, yeah. But yet we're talking about battles, you know, people who've died. Typically, Memorial Day is those who have died in battle. And today, we're going to be talking about uh, spiritual battle and the fact and, and how we can win that. Because here's what I want to tell you is if you use God's battle strategies, you'll win. You just will. But you need to know his battle strategies if you want to win. So let's pray and then we'll jump into that. Lord, thank you so much that we have the privilege of opening up your word today. I pray that you would just impress on our minds your insights, your thoughts, so that each one of us would walk away with some new things because you're a, you just do new things all the time. So we're so thankful for that. And Lord, let it make us receptive to hear from you and your word and then put it inside of us so that it will make a difference as we go forward. Thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I will never forget it. I was at the, in the prime of my life, third grade, and uh, I am, I am I'm up to the drinking fountain, recess is over, there's two people in front of me, and that's it, and I'm going to hit the drinking fountain, and all of a sudden, wham, something hit me in the side of my head on the back, knocked me down, and I'm on the ground, and I look up, and there's a sixth grader looking, over, looking down at me, and I said, what'd you do that for? And I climbed back up to my feet, and he said, your brother beat up my brother. And I thought, my first thought was, wait a minute, your brother's in my class, my brother's a year and a half, two years younger than me, than him, so good on you, bro, you know, I can't, you beat up somebody who's older than you are, you know? And so I got back up and I looked at him and I said, so what? And I turned back around and wham, I went down again. And I looked back up and, I, and he said, so I'm going to beat you up. And I thought, not if I can help it. And so I got back up and we went at it. And of course, really quickly, teachers come and break us up and take us to the principal's office. In those days, you got a SWAT or two or three or five. <laughs> three was our count. And uh, three was our count. And, and what really bothered me is I got the same number of SWATs as he did. And I thought, man, I didn't even do anything. But that's not the point of my story. Here's the point of my story. If you are in a battle and you don't know it, you are much more likely to get your butt kicked. If you're in a battle and you don't know it, you are much more likely to get your butt kicked. And you know what? The Bible tells us we are in a battle. And I didn't want to be in that battle. By the way, it doesn't matter if you want to be in the battle. You're in the battle. You don't have a choice in it. What you do have a choice in is how you're going to respond to the battle. So that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. We're going to go to an unusual place to look at that uh, from the Bible. We're going to go to the book of Job in the Old Testament so that we can get a picture of what this battle is really like, okay, and, and where it's at. Job chapter 1, verse 1, 
And here's what it says. There was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and he employed many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in that entire area. Now, we go on, and he tells us about making, purifying his kids, making offerings to God, and how he did that consistently. Now, we'll jump to verse 6. One day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan, the accuser, came with them. Where have you come from? The Lord asked Satan. And Satan answered the Lord, I've been going back and forth across the earth watching everything that's going on. And then the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and will have nothing to do with evil. And Satan replied to the Lord, yes, Job fears God, but not without good reason. You've always protected him in his home and his property from harm. You've made him prosperous in everything he does. Look how rich he is. But take away everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. All right. You may test him, the Lord said to Satan. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. So Satan left the presence of the Lord. One day... When Job's sons and daughters were dining at the oldest brother's house, a messenger arrived at Job's home with this news. Your oxen were plowing with the donkeys feeding beside them when the Sabaeans raided us. They stole all the animals and killed all the farm workers. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. The fire of God has fallen from heaven and burned up your sheep and all the shepherds, and I am the only one who escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, a third messenger arrived with this news. Three bands of Chaldean raiders have stolen your camels and killed your servants. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. Your sons and daughters were feasting in their oldest brother's home when suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the desert and hit the house on all sides. The house collapsed and all your children are dead. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. Job stood up and tore his robe in grief. Then he shaved his head and fell to the ground before God. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb, and I will be stripped of everything when I die. The Lord gave me everything I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin by blaming God. Well, you know what? We win when we praise God instead of blaming God. I want to stop here for just a moment and note a couple of things. There is a battle going on, is there not? Who is the battle between? Satan and, it's between Satan and God, isn't it? It's Satan and God are having this, this thing going on. Uh, so there is a battle going on and it's, and it's between Satan and God. Can God protect us? Yes, yes he can. 
Oh, that's interesting. He can protect us. In this particular case, he took his hand off and left Job exposed at least to some extent in in that area. What's the battle about? What's it really about? Our souls. Yes, yes. What else? What's going on here? Dominion. Dominion. What's going on? Yes, dominion. Who's in charge? Who is, and, and, and so we have a battle going on between God and Satan for the integrity of Job. Oh, for the affections of Job. And Satan does not want him to have affections. Satan does not want him to have a relationship with God. And so that's where that battle is going on. Did Job know what was going on? We don't have evidence of that. Now, maybe he found out later, ergo we have the book, but, uh, but he didn't know at that time what was going on, and we know that because, uh, because he spends a great deal of time wondering about it, as we'll see in a little bit. So the battle isn't physical, is it? It's going on with God and Satan, which is spiritual. So Paul would later write the Christians, the Christians in Ephesus, to identify to them, to point out, listen, you need to understand something. You need to understand where the battle is really being fought or else you'll fight with the wrong thing. Okay? And so here's what Paul said in Ephesians 6, 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. In other words, I'm going to stop right there for just a second. In other words, what Paul is saying is your battle's not against this person you think it's against. It isn't. Your battle is not against what, what is going on out there with other people coming towards you. Your battle is with the spirit that's behind the people who are doing that. Do you see that? So you've got somebody that's really annoying to you. You've got somebody that's saying bad things about you. You've got somebody that you feel like, man, you are coming up against them. And what Paul is saying is, no, you're not. It's, that's not where the real battle is at. It's not flesh and blood. It's something else that you need to be aware of. And if you're not careful, you'll get after flesh and blood and you're fighting the wrong battle. And so here's where he says the battle is really at. But so, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. In other words, in the spiritual realm. It's a spiritual battle. So, friends, we need to have spiritual tactics to fight that battle, don't we? And, 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 and we know if we can get the spiritual tactics from God, that if we use God's battle strategies, we'll win. So we want to take a look at those. But let's first go on and see what happened with Job. Chapter 2, verse 1. One day the angels came again to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan, the accuser, came along with them. Where have you come from? The Lord asked Satan. And Satan answered the Lord, I've been going back and forth across the earth watching everything that's going on. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Then the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He's the finest man in all the earth, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and will have nothing to do with evil. And he has maintained his integrity even though you persuaded me to harm him. Watch this, without Cause, oh, oh, we can wind up in a spiritual battle and all of a sudden, wham, find ourselves on the ground without cause. Hmm, so we better be prepared for that. 
Satan replied to the Lord, skin for skin. He blesses you only because you bless him. A man will give up everything he has to save his life, but take away his health, and he will surely curse you to your face. All right. Do with him as you please, the Lord said to Satan, but spare his life. So Satan left the presence of the Lord, and he struck Job with a terrible case of boils from head to foot. Then Job scraped his skin with a piece of broken pottery as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. There's a helpmate for you. (laughs) Well, we just found out a few things there. But Job replied, Job knew the battle was not against flesh and blood. He replied, you talk like a godless woman. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? So in all this, Job said nothing wrong. Job knew that something was going on beyond his control. He did not know exactly what it was, but he knew that his relationship with God was the most important thing to him. And he also knew that he had not knowingly done anything wrong to damage that or to hurt that. And so he did wonder, he did wonder, what is it I don't know? What is it that's happening? What is it that is going on? In fact, the majority of the book of Job, and you can read the rest of it on your own, 42 chapters, is taken up with him wondering what's going on and some well-meaning friends of his coming and talking to him all about all the things he's done wrong. They were well-meaning, but they didn't have the right information or the right, didn't give him the right advice but there they were, and, um, and the book of Job is consumed with that until you get to the end where Job then has an opportunity to see God, to hear from God directly about all of this after he's been wrestling with it, and wow, it's a terrific ending. I'll let you read that on your own. The battles between God and our enemy, Satan, the accuser. Isn't that interesting? Who's he accusing? He's before God. Who's he accusing? You. That's right. Me. That's right. He's accusing us. And there he is, the accuser before God. We're caught in the middle. We're the prize that God wants because he loves us. He created us to be in relationship with him, and he wants us desperately in that relationship. Satan doesn't want us to have that relationship with him. But Satan's like the bully on the playground. He could care less about you and I. He just doesn't want us to have a relationship with God. Like the bully who says, I, he, he didn't really want the toy, he just didn't want you to have it. You know, That's kind of his, his approach to the whole thing. And that's why we need to employ God's strategies for this spiritual warfare, because if you use God's battle strategies, you'll win. So I wanna, I wanna lay out three of them that we can see that Job used here that you can use in your life and in your walk and in the battle that you are in Whether you want to be in it or not, you're in it. So you might as well figure out how to win it, right? Good, we got three people who want to win it. This is gonna be excellent. Um, All right, first first thing is this. I want you to notice that Job prepared in advance. 
He prepared in advance by surrendering to God's spirit. He prepared in advance. We know that because it talks about when, uh, in chapter one, how he, when he was afraid his kids might have done something wrong, he would pray for them. He would have burnt offerings for them. He would offer things, sacrifices to the Lord. And it said he did that regularly. In another place, we read, read about him saying, man, I, I, uh, the worst thing I feared has now happened to me. So we know he thought about what he would do in advance if these things happened. Because he said, I have thought about this. I thought about the worst thing that could happen to me. So he's already prepared in advance. And we need to prepare in advance. And here's why. Because the enemy, he knows human beings. He knows human beings really well. He's had a lot of experience. He knows your reaction and your impulses. He, know he, can, he knows he can stir you up with your egos, with your emotion, with your desires, with your feelings, with your needs. And he can control you as long as you're controlled by your own desires. He can control you. But he can't predict he doesn't understand when we give ourselves to God and say, Lord, I'm yours. I'll do whatever you want me to do, whatever you want me to do. Then you praise him and you say something like Job did. You gave and, it's, and now it's been taken away, but I'm still praising you. And, and the enemy doesn't know what to do with that. And that's when we can become victorious over him. But it requires surrendering and trusting God. So if you're in this place and you feel like, I'm in a battle right now, but I, I'm having trouble winning this. I don't know what's going on. I can't see it myself. Then be vulnerable to God. Be vulnerable. Say, Lord, I don't know what's going on, but here I am. I'm going to be your servant. I'm going to be your servant through this. I need your battle strategies as to how to do this. And when you're vulnerable to God, then is when he, you're at your place of greatest breakthrough. You just are. When you're honest with God and saying, God, here's where I'm at. Here's the best I've got. And you're gut honest with him. You're right there at your place of greatest breakthrough where he'll begin to show you things. So he's, he's going to tell us, you need to prepare in advance. Think about how do I want to respond if this happens? How do I want to respond if that happens? And, and, and the reason is because if you form good decisions before the heat of battle, you can win. You need to, but you need to form the decisions before the heat of battle because here's what happens, friends. If you're going to wait till the heat of battle and figure, oh, I'll be good then. I'll have it all put together then. That's how I'll grow in my character. No, that isn't. No, the heat of battle will determine, will show you where you're at. You see, it will, it will determine, it will, it will reflect where you're at, but it will not, it will reveal how your character is. But your character needs to be growing. You need to do the work ahead of that. Prepare in advance for that. Let me give you a great example. Um, when my oldest son was in third grade, uh, we had just moved. He was in a new school. And we wound up in the principal's office, I don't know how many times, because he kept getting in fights. And, and these kids would tease him or they would say something to him. And, and he was the kind of kid that he would not take it, man. So he would just, you know, and, and, I, and here we are in the principal's office again. And so I said, Elijah, you've got to quit fighting these kids. And well, Dad, they said, they called me a name. They said this. They said this about my mom or whatever it would be, you know. And, and, um, and so finally, I said, you know what? We need to practice. We need to practice what you say. So uh, we laid out all the different things that he had gotten in fights for, and, and, and we, started, we started practicing. 
So instead of, instead of hitting the guy or instead of going to war on it, what if you said this back? Well, now we actually rehearsed it, and I would play the bad guy. And the first couple of times, he got so mad that when I started calling him these names and stuff like that, he got so mad he still wanted, he goes, but Dad, you can't. Oh, no, no, what, what, what should you say? What should you say? And so he practiced it. Oh, and before long, guess what? That's how he responded with the kids. Why? Because he had prepared in advance. Friends, we've got to prepare in advance. The enemy is going to come at us in different ways. And so we need to open up God's word and we need to say, Lord, I need to be so full of your word. I need to understand you so well that when he knocks me sideways, when he knocks me over, I can see what's happening. I can get up and I can get the victory in you because I will have prepared in advance to do just that. I want you to notice the victory that Job got wasn't obvious to begin with, was it? It took a while for that to kind of work its way out. But here's the deal. If you are responding the way God wants you to respond, you will be victorious. If you use God's battle strategies, you will win. So the first one is to prepare in advance. The second one I want you to get is this. Take your lamentations, take your grief, take your pain, take your anguish, and give it to God in worship. So you use your lamentations as worship. This is a real big one. That's exactly what Job did, isn't it? I mean, his kids are killed. All of his kids are killed. Not only losing everything financially, but what is his response is to take that, all that pain, all that grief, all that anguish, all that weeping and saying, Lord, here it is. I'm going to turn my lamentations into praise. Oh, the enemy does not like that one. This is a terrific one, friends. In fact, Job's response, ultimately, you can find this in chapter 13, verse 15, uh, Job finally says this, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Oh man, what he's saying is this, God, uh, my kids have died. I've lost everything. I, I, I've got boils. I I'm, I'm feel sick. I, my skin is sagging. I'd like to die. And you're gonna, if you read the book, you'll read all about those emotions coming out of him. And he's feeling all of that way. But he's going to turn that lamentations, that, that, that weeping, that anguish into, so he says, God, even if you slay me, though you slay me, yet will I trust you. Yet I'm going to trust you. I'm putting myself into your hands. I, and I'm going to be right into your hands. I trust you with my life, even if it means my life is taken from me. Wow. Though the worst thing happens, I'm trusting you. We have another great example. Most of the time, when you take lamentations and turn it into worship, it comes with a though and a yet. Though you slay me, yet will I trust you. I want to give you another example from uh, the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, depending on how, like you, how you like to say it. I like to say it Habakkuk, so we'll just say that is the right way to say it, uh, though I have no idea. He is a prophet in the Old Testament. He wrote this little tiny book. It's only three chapters long. Take you about nine minutes to read it if you're a slow reader. And, uh, but in it, here's what's happening. Habakkuk is going to God, and he's saying, God, you've got to see what's going on here. And he actually, in chapter one, friends, he, he describes something that seems an awful lot like our country today. He says, evil is running rampant. There's violence that's going on like, like it's just crazy, the violence that's taking place right now. There's division going on. There's all kinds of sin going on. God, where are you going to show up? And then God, in chapter two, says, I am going to show up. As a matter of fact, I'm going to show up in the form of the Babylonians who I'm going to let win the victory and take over Israel. And Habakkuk is going, wait a minute. 
That's not what I had in mind. But he realizes who God is. And so then at the, at the beginning of Habakkuk chapter 3, he says this, I've heard all about you, Lord. I'm filled with awe by your amazing works. In this time of our deep need, help us again as you did in years gone by. And in your anger, remember your mercy. And then for the rest of uh, chapter 3, he gets this picture. God's given them this vision of how God's going to move in and out. And now he gets to the end of chapter 3, and here's where I want you to pick up on it. This is how he does it. This is lamentations into worship. He says in verse 17, even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. He said, man, you are my strength, God. Though these things are happened, though they're terrible, yet I will praise you, God. You're the one I want to praise. So we wrap up our grief and pain, and we step into worship. Let me give you some examples of that. Though I've lost everything financially and ended up going bankrupt, yet I will trust you, Lord, for you are my provider, you are my source, you are my security. Though I have lost an intimate, valuable relationship that I did not want to lose, yet I will praise you, Lord, for you, you will never leave me or forsake me. Though I have been abused personally, physically, sexually, emotionally, yet I will rejoice in you, Lord, for you love me. You care for me. You will never reject me. You are my loving Father. You see me as valuable. Here's one I had a little practice on. Though I am in prison, yet I will honor you, Lord, for you set me free on the inside. You're my protector. You're my stronghold. You're my fortress. It's in you I find my hope. Though I'm feeling depressed, though I'm feeling down, though everything seems dark, yet I will praise you, Lord, for you are my source of hope. The joy, your joy is my strength. You're my light, my clarity, my encouragement, my love, my safety. Though I'm sick and feel terrible, yet I will worship you, Lord, for you are my refuge. You're my healer. You're my redeemer, my helper, my hiding place. Though I've been treated unfairly, maybe even sued, yet I will worship you, Lord, for you're my judge, my king, my helper, my master, my shield. You're my friend. The enemy is used to believers blaming God. He loves that game. That's what he wants to do is he wants to get us to blame God and think that God is causing our pain to teach us something or something like that. Listen, friends, God will not cause you pain to teach you something, but God will use your pain to teach you something. Mm. So the enemy inflicts the pain on us in order, to, in order to get us to blame God, and when we don't blame God, God takes that pain and he turns it into good for us and gain for us. He teaches us through it. Remember Job and Habakkuk, and remember though and yet. Lamentations 3.31 gives us one other picture of that before we move on. For the Lord will not cast off forever. Here it is. Though he causes grief, yet he will show compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. For he does not afflict willingly, nor grieve the children of men. 
So we take our lamentations, we use them as worship. We say, God, I'm in terrible pain here, but I'm giving it to you as my worship. Would you receive it? Because if you use God's battle strategies, friends, you'll win. So he says, prepare in advance. One way you prepare in advance is you determine that you're going to use any lamentations you have for worship to God. Here's the third thing. He wants us to move in the opposite spirit. The opposite spirit that the enemy wants to attack you with is how you respond back to him. When he comes at you with something, you want to see that dart coming at you, and you want to say, oh, no, you don't, and you turn around and you send that dart right back to him in the opposite spirit, moving in the opposite spirit. What's the opposite of anger? What's that? Joy. What's the, what's the opposite of uh, hate? Okay, so, so, he said, so when, we come, when he comes at us with one thing, we want to move back in the opposite spirit with worship and prayer. So we take those thoughts that he's going to give to us because he, it's, it's a battlefield of the mind, friends. That's why, the, that's why the Bible tells us, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. The renewing means the ongoing. We have to keep doing it. It's an ongoing thing, day by day by day by day. We want to keep renewing our mind to be more and more like God wants it to be so we can take these things. So here's what we do. The enemy comes at you with a fearful thought. Maybe you're a person that tends to be fearful. and he, So he's going to use those things to try and get you up discombobulated, to get you off center with God. He's going to come at you with fearful thoughts. So as soon as you have those fearful thoughts come into you and you're going, oh, oh no, what about and they could be about anything about, about you being stupid or ugly or wrong or, or, um, or just about the fear of your situation or your circumstances. When that thought hits you, you turn that right back around. And you say, oh, no, you don't. Oh, no, you don't. Uh-uh. God's told me that perfect love casts out fear. And I've got perfect love for the Father. The Father's got perfect love for me. And so I don't have to fear because God is the one who, is, who loves me. He's the one who formed me in my mother's womb. And he has forgiven me of everything. He's got me covered. He's got me covered, Psalm 91 says, under his feathers. He's got me taken care of. I'm not going to fear you anymore, enemy. And so when he comes at you and you begin to feel fear, you turn that around and you use that thought in the opposite spirit so that you can get victory over it. If you've got anxious thoughts, you turn it into a prayer of thanksgiving. Where does the enemy like to attack you? Maybe it's got lustful thoughts. Oh, here comes a lustful thought. And, 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 and now you have that starting to, to come up inside of you. You immediately respond in the opposite spirit. The opposite of lust is purity. And so you say, oh, thank you, enemy, for that thought. I'm going to turn that into purity. Lord, right now, I just had that thought for a moment. I don't want that thought to be in my head anymore. I want pure thoughts in my mind. So I thank you for the spouse that you've given me. I thank you that the relationship you've given me with my spouse is to be like yours with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's to be that close. God, let me think pure thoughts. Let me think pure ways. And every time the enemy comes at you with it, you turn it right back around and you send it right back down in the opposite spirit. You have angry thoughts. You turn that into prayer for peace for forgiveness, for understanding, compassion. What's the opposite of selfishness? Selflessness, generosity, right? So when you start to feel self, like you gotta hold on to things, like you're selfish about stuff, I gotta hold on to this, I don't want this to happen, I don't want that to happen. God, I'm, I'm getting concerned about this stuff. I'm starting to think it's mine, Lord. I'm sorry for that. That's the enemy trying to get me trapped by those things. I'm gonna take that, I'm gonna move in the opposite spirit, I'm gonna say, Lord, make me, give me a generous spirit. Let me see things like you see things. Let me understand that, that I can never outgive you. Oh, wow. Let me understand that everything I have is actually yours, Lord. 
If you use God's battle strategies, you'll win. Here's what the enemy wants to do. The enemy wants to discourage. God wants to encourage. The enemy wants to reduce you. God wants to increase you. You know when it's the enemy, when he's trying to make you feel less than. And God comes and says, oh no, I want you to feel better than. You're my child. You're forgiven by me. I see you as perfect. I see you as holy. The enemy wants to cause worry. God wants to build trust. The enemy actually wants to make you controlling, and oftentimes, by the way, that comes out of fear. i got to control the situation. I can't, if, I can't, if I can control it, I'll be okay. God's going, no, I don't want you to re- control people. I want you to release them. You trust me, you release them to me. The enemy wants to destroy and kill. God wants to give life. The enemy wants to divide. God wants to bring unity. So when you see division, recognize where it comes from, friends. You're in a battle. And the division, when the division comes in the body of believers, the enemy has to be going, oh my goodness, he just, he just do like, this is the greatest thing, this is the greatest thing, I've got them fighting each other. <laughs> right? And, and sometimes, sometimes I find myself in the place where I'm going, duh, I just found myself wanting to fight these people. I just found myself leading into the division. And God says, that's not my spirit. Jesus said, Father, I'm praying, make them one. Make those who believe in us one. Oh, so we've got to fight for unity in that place. We've got to be the opposite, moving the opposite spirit. Here they are again. Prepare in advance for the battle. Use lamentations as worship. Move in the opposite spirit. If you use God's battle strategies, friends, you will win. Now, I got to close with this. What's it mean to win? Might not mean what you thought it means. It might not mean that everything is all of a sudden all dandy. I want to tell you something. Job, when uh, he won the victory, there is no question he won the victory, but you know what he lost? His family. He lost his family. He lost his family. And at the end of the all, book, uh, the 42nd chapter of Job, God tells Job, I'll tell you what, I want you to pray for your friends. Friends. <laughs> friends. The friends who told him how, how, how bad he was. The friends who weren't really very supportive. And he said, God says, I want you to pray for those friends. And then, and then, I'll bless you. And I got to tell you, that's not always easy to do. That's not always easy to do. I remember praying about this and him saying, bringing the people to my mind. (laughs) Wait a minute, God. (laughs) I'm not hearing right. You can't mean them. You can't mean them. They hurt me so bad. I don't want to pray for them. I don't want to pray for them. But I'm calling you to pray for them. Okay, okay, okay. All right, Lord, I'm giving it up to you. I'm giving it up to you. I'm going to pray that you bless them. I'm going to pray that you forgive them. I'm going to pray those things. I'm going to release them. 
He does that. When Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes. In fact, the Lord gave him twice as much as before. And he got twice as much of everything but kids. He only got the same number of kids. Huh. Well, I'll tell you what, I believe in that, and you can figure it out for yourself. You might have a different thought, but I think the reason he only got the same number of kids back is because the other ones weren't gone. They were in glory. They'd passed. God says, I'll restore all the rest of your fortunes. I'll give you the same number of kids, but you know what Job did? The rest of his life, another 142 years, to the fourth generation, watching his family grow up and everything else, he still missed his kids because the pain is still there. And God kept using it, kept using it, kept reminding him of where the battle is really at. Victory may not look like you expect. You need to let God decide what that is, what that victory is. You're in a battle, ready or not. Some of you are in a place right now where you're saying, man, I'm feeling it so big. I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage you in it. Go to, go to your Savior. Come get, get prayer from others. We'll have prayer after the service over here. We've got people online who will be willing to pray with you if you're online and you're saying, man, I'm in the battle right now. I need some help. I need some victory here. I want to just encourage you to get online and say, I need to pray with somebody. Somebody will get a hold of you and we'll do that. If you're here, there'll be prayer up here at the end of the service and you can come and get it. Listen, friends, you are in a battle, ready or not. I want to encourage you to run to your source your source of hope, your place of safety, your fortress, your stronghold, your rock, your shield, your redeemer, your friend, your savior, your king, your security, your helper, your God. Because when you run to him and you carry out his battle strategies, you will win. And God wants you to win because he loves you. And he wants nothing more than your relationship with him to be unimpeded, to be clean to be open, run to him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you give us examples right there in the Old Testament of, of the battle that's going on, the battle that we are in, whether we want to be or not. And Lord, sometimes I just don't want to be. I don't want to be in a battle. I want to be, I want to be just protected. I want to have it easy, but, but that's not the life that's in front of us. So give us the courage to step into it with joy. Lord, help us to prepare in advance. Lord, help us to be able to use every bit of grief and anguish and weeping and pain that we have and bring it to you as an offering to you, saying, Lord, all this I've got, I'm given to you. And then, Lord, we just pray that you would let us move in the opposite spirit of what the enemy wants us to, so that you would get victory right here at Arbor, that you would get victory right here in our own lives, and that you would be high and lifted up because of it. Thank you that we can ask that with great expectation that you hear us and that you will answer us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to continue to worship the Lord.